Before we come to Prime Minister's questions, I wish to make a statement about the House's practices regarding accusing members of lying or deliberately misleading the House. I recognise there are frustrations around the House's practices. Firstly, let me say that there are means by which accusations of lying may be brought before the House, including by means of a substantive motion. The Scottish National Party did so on their opposition day in November. However, members may not accuse each other of lying or deliberately misleading the House unless such a substantive motion is under consideration. Erskine May is clear that it is to preserve the character of parliamentary debate, which I take to mean to stop it descending into fruitless cycles of accusation and counter-accusation. May I also say that expressions when used in respect of the members, which are regarded with particular seriousness, generally leading to prompt intervention from the Chair and often a requirement on a member to withdraw the words, include charges uttering deliberate falsehoods. It is important to stress context. Similar words said in different proceedings might attract a different response from the Chair, depending on the subject being debated, tone and other considerations, but in general the Chair will not tolerate accusations of lying or deliberately misleading the House. That is the long-standing practice of the House as set out in Eskin May and followed by successive speakers and deputy speakers. Of course, long-standing practices may change. For example, if the House decided it wanted a different approach, perhaps informed by the Procedure Committee inquiry, but it is not for me to change the practice unilaterally. Therefore, I ask members to respect this approach I know feelings run high on important issues we discuss, but there are plenty of ways of making strong feelings felt within the rules and without placing the Chair in the invidious position of having to order members to withdraw on seeking their suspension. Before we come to Prime Minister's questions, I would like to point out that the British Sign Language interpretation of proceedings is available to watch on Parliament Live TV. I now call Esther McVeigh. Question number one, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, this, this Sunday, Her Majesty the Queen will become the first British monarch to celebrate a platinum jubilee. Yeah. While it is a moment for national celebration, it will be a day of mixed emotions for Her Majesty, as, of course, the day also marks 70 years since the death of her beloved father, George VI. I know that the whole House will want to join me in thanking Her Majesty for her tireless service. We look forward to celebrating her historic reign with a series of national events in June. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings, oh, I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Esther yeah. Bay. On Monday, the Secretary of State for Health said mandatory vaccinations would be subject to a consultation. So can the Prime Minister make it clear, unequivocally, no ifs, no buts, no qualifications, that mandatory vaccinations for NHS staff will be abandoned? 
Will he also make it clear that is true for care workers as well, many of whom have already lost their jobs? So what support will the government be giving to get those care workers back into the care sector, and will those who have lost their jobs get compensation? Minister. Uh, I, I thank my right honourable friend very much for her thoughtful uh, work on this. I want to stress that uh, vaccines remain our best line of defence, and I do think that NHS staff and all those who work in, uh, in, in the care sector have a professional responsibility to get vaccinated, Mr Speaker. Uh, but as my right honourable friend, the Health Secretary, told the House on Monday, uh, given the difference between Omicron and Delta, uh, it is right and she is right uh, that we revisit the balance of risks and opportunities, Mr Speaker. The Health Secretary has said we'll launch a consultation and subject to the responses and the will of this House, Mr Speaker, the Government will revoke the regulations. Yeah. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, the Right Honourable Keir Starmer. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. And following your opening remarks, I just want to say to the members opposite, theirs is the party of Winston Churchill. Our party stood together as we defeated fascism in Europe. Now their leader stands in the House of Commons parroting the conspiracy theories of violent fascists to try and score cheap political points. He knows, he knows exactly what he is doing. It's time to restore some dignity. Mr Speaker, one of the most absurd claims made on behalf of Operation Save Big Dog is the Prime Minister and the Chancellor writing in the Sunday Times that they are the tax-cutting Conservatives. Why do these alleged tax-cutters keep raising taxes on working people? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, on his first point, I don't want to make heavy weather of this, but I am informed that in 2013 uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman apologised and took full responsibility... uh, for what had happened on, on his watch, and I think, Mr Speaker, that was the right thing to do. Uh, and, 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 Mr Speaker, on, 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 uh, on what we're doing to tackle uh, cost of living and taxation, Mr Speaker, our COVID recovery plan, our COVID plan is absolutely vital in helping people uh, with the cost of living, lifting up universal uh, credit payments, Mr. Speaker, uh, by cutting the tax that people, uh, the cutting the tax that people effectively pay, lifting the living wage, Mr. Speaker, uh, uh, helping councils with another half a billion pounds uh, for those who are facing particular hardship, Mr. Speaker. But what we're, all, what we're also doing, and this is absolutely vital, is increasing the number of high-wage, high-skill jobs in this country. Uh, 420,000 more on the payroll uh, than there were before the pandemic began. Because we've had the fastest exit from COVID of any European economy, Mr. Speaker, because we had the fastest vaccine and booster rollout. Mr. Speaker, it's not just the national insurance rise. Thresholds for income tax, frozen. A stealth tax on working people. The threshold for tuition fees, frozen. A stealth tax on working people. Local authorities forced to increase council tax, a stealth tax on working people. You can be as stealthy as you like, but you can't hide reality. We have the highest tax burden for 70 years during the middle of an inflation crisis. So I ask the Prime Minister again, 
Why do he and the Chancellor keep raising taxes on working people? Minister. Mr Speaker, what we are doing is helping people with the, with the cost of living, uh, cutting taxes for those on universal credit, Mr Speaker, uh, as I have said, uh, helping people with the cost of their fuel, Mr Speaker, with the cold weather payments, uh, the warm homes payments, Mr Speaker, doing all the things that this country would expect, lifting the living wage, which this party, Mr Speaker, introduced. Uh, this party, this government, has increased by the record amount, uh, Mr Speaker, and, what we, and above all, uh, well, above all, the most important thing that we are doing is helping people into work. 500,000 people off welfare into work under our Way to Work scheme. More people, more people in work now than before the pandemic began, and that is the record of this government. Ne- ne- Labour never forget, Mr. Speaker. There's never been a Labour government that left office with unemployment lower than when they. Lots of words, lots of bluster, no answers. Uh, uh, word of warning. Word of warning, Prime Minister. That's not going to work with the police. <laughs> I'll tell him. I'll tell him why they're putting taxes up. Low growth. In the decade of Tory government before the pandemic, growth slumped. It was much, much weaker than under the last Labour government. If if the Tories matched our record on growth, we would have £30 billion more to spend on public services without having to raise a single tax. Mr Speaker, surely even this Prime Minister doesn't need someone else to tell him that he and the Chancellor are having to raise taxes because the Tories failed to grow the economy over a decade. Mr Speaker, I think everybody in this country uh, can see that we've been through the biggest pandemic uh, since uh, for a hundred years, that we've looked after the people of this country to the tune of £400 billion that we put into furlough and all the other schemes, 11.7 million people protected. Everybody knows knows the the cost of that, Mr Speaker. And at the same time, in spite of all the difficulties uh, that we have faced, uh, we have now got the fastest growth in the G7. Absolutely true. Uh, we've got youth unemployment. We've got youth unemployment at a record low, Mr. Speaker. We've got three times as much tech investment, investment coming into this country as there is in France, twice as much, twice as much as there is in Germany. Yes, that's absolutely true, Mr. Speaker. And never forget, if you want to know about Labour economics, never forget the last time they were in office, Mr. Speaker, when they were finally booted out, they left a note saying there's no money left. Mr. Speaker, Speaker, the UK. Some people won't be getting more because they won't be here to hear it, so, yes, Starmer. Mr. Speaker, the UK has suffered the worst economic crisis in the G7. The Prime Minister has more chance of persuading the public that he didn't hold any parties than he has of persuading them that the economy is booming. High taxes are not just the result of low growth. Under this government, we've seen a pandemic of waste and fraud. From the Prime Minister's yacht to government contracts for mates of ministers, they've treated taxpayers as an ATM machine for their mates and their lifestyles. Now we find, now we find, 
Mr Speaker, they've written off £8.7 billion on PPA, and the Chancellor's writing off £4.3 billion in fraud. That's enough to cover the tax hike he's inflicting on working people. So why did this Government block the National Crime Agency from investigating all the billions they lost to fraud? Mr Speaker, of course we despise fraud of those who steal from the taxpayer, and that's why we've already recovered £743 million in lost furlough money, Mr Speaker, £2.2 billion that were stolen in bounce-back loans, and we will go on. But I have to tell you, Mr Speaker, that I am proud of what this government and this country did in securing record quantities of PPE and record time, uh, Mr Speaker, in furloughing and looking after the entirety of British business and society in the way that uh, we did, Mr Speaker. And once again, Captain Hindsight comes to this House and attacks the government for doing exactly what he urged us to do 18 months ago. Mr Speaker, it so happens that I have a, I've found a letter. I've been rustling in my notes, Mr Speaker. Uh, and I found a letter, which I will place for your convenience in the House, in the Library of the House, Mr Speaker, from the, from the Shadow Chancellor uh, to my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Deluxe, suggesting uh, that we could secure PPE supplies. This is on April the 22nd, uh, 2020. Secure PPE supplies uh, from a, a football, uh, sorry, from a theatrical costumier, and that we could get ventilators from a professional football agent, uh, Mr. Speaker. No wonder, no wonder. No wonder under Labour, no wonder under Labour, fraud was running at £21 billion per year, Mr Speaker. I'm proud of what this government did to secure PPE, and I'm proud of the way we protected this country. Who wants to be the first to leave? Please put your hand up, because I'm going to pick one of you. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister might want to sharpen how he answers questions under interview. He's going to need it in the next few weeks. Waste and low growth explain why we have high taxes, but they don't explain why it's always working people that are asked to pay more. Yesterday, he ordered his troops not to support a windfall tax on oil and gas companies. As a result, the country is missing out on over a billion pounds we could have used to cut taxes on energy bills for working people. Today, he's ordering his troops to vote for tax cuts for banks. As a result, the country is missing out on another billion pounds we could have spent cutting taxes for working people. Why are the Chancellor and the Prime Minister protecting oil companies and bank profits while putting taxes up on working people? Mr Speaker, let's, let's just get to the heart of what this is all about. This is all about, this is all about dealing, dealing with the consequences of the biggest pandemic this country has seen, with an unprecedented economic crisis in which the state had to come forward and look after the people of this country to the tune of £408 billion. But everybody can see the fiscal impacts of that. Shall I tell you uh, what this government and this country uh, is voting for and what we're doing? We're investing now in 45,000 more NHS workers, more people in our NHS this year than there were last year. 10,000 more nurses, 10,900 more nurses, about 5,000 more doctors, 9 million more scans, 100 community diagnostics hubs to help people to get the scans and treatment they need. And the incredible thing, 
The incredible, the lamentable thing is that the party opposite, the party of Nye Bevan, Mr Speaker, voted against those funds, voted against that investment, and they would have made our Covid recovery impossible. Mr Speaker, for all the bluster, the truth is the Conservative Party are the party of high taxes because they are the party of low growth. They are the party of high taxes because they are the party of eye-watering waste. Mr Speaker, we know this Prime Minister has no respect for decency or honesty. I can take it. I can take it when it is aimed at me but I won't accept it when he gaslights the British public, writing absurd articles about cutting taxes at a time when he's squeezing working people to the pips. Isn't it the case, Mr Speaker, that he and his Chancellor are the Tory Thelma and Louise, hand in hand, as they drive the country off the cliff and into the abyss of low growth and tax? Mr Gullis, I think you've been trailed for long enough and you don't want to be trailed anymore. And that is the last comment I have, or otherwise I will ring you, mother. Keir Starmer. Isn't it true, Mr Speaker, that he and the Chancellor are the Tory Felmer and Louise, hand in hand as they drive the country off the cliff and into the abyss of low growth and high tax? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker... I think, I think the right honourable gentleman is Dick Dastardly and, and Muttley. Uh, 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 both of them pulling in, di- in different directions. Uh, we, know, uh, we know they have different views, uh, Mr Speaker. We, we, are getting on, we are getting on with the job. Uh, Mr. Speaker, and just in the, just in the last few, and, and of course, uh, I, I think it's absolutely extraordinary that they've done nothing to uh, support our COVID recovery plan. They've voted against our plans to support the NHS. But what, what we're doing, just in the last in the last few days, while he's been fixated on uh, on the issues that he's absolutely determined to uh, to escalate, what we've done, uh, we've opened free ports across the country just in the last in the last few days. We're getting 500,000 people off welfare into work with our Way to Work plan. Uh, in, in just a few short minutes, Mr Speaker, if I, I hope he will hang around because he will hear my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up, deliver the long-awaited Leveling Up white paper, full, full, of, full of good stuff, um, including 55 education investment areas, 55 education investment areas across our country, a wonderful moral and economic mission to, to level up and give opportunity across the whole country. A fantastic vision for this country, Mr Speaker. They have nothing of the kind to offer the people of this country. Mr Speaker, uh, while we are getting on with coming out of COVID with the second fastest, uh, with the fastest economic recovery in the G7, the fastest, the fastest, he would have kept us, he would have kept us in lockdown, Mr Speaker. We're fixing the NHS, we're fixing the NHS and social care uh, when they voted against it and they have no plan. And we are, well, Mr Speaker, we are building a coalition. Order, order. We are building a coalition. Just, just a minute. Prime Minister, I'm this way, not that way. Maybe Specsavers might be the answer to see where I am. And I can I just say, Dame Caroline Dynage is desperate to get the next question to you. Dame Diana Caroline Dynage. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. I'd like to first of all give my condolences to the Right Honourable Member for Camberwell and Peckham and yeah. say how good it is to see her back in yeah. her place. Yeah. 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 Mr. Speaker, Sophie Farrell was just 10 years old when she died in September. Childhood cancer is often described as rare, yet cancer is the biggest killer of children under, four, under 14. Sophie's GP failed to diagnose her cancer, and it was only when she went to A&E that they discovered the tumour in her little body that was 12 centimetres long. So, Mr Speaker, on World Cancer Day on Friday, I would like to ask the Prime Minister to please advocate for more and better training for general practice to identify cancer in children. I'm very sorry to hear uh, uh, Sophie's case, and my thoughts are with her, her family and her, and her friends. And she's right that research is uh, crucial in, uh, in tackling childhood cancers. Uh, that's why we're, we're investing in uh, more research. But it's also vital uh, that we do tests and, uh, and diagnostic scans and, and screens uh, early enough. And uh, that's why it's also important uh, that uh, NICE has not only updated its guidance on referring childhood cancers in February uh, twenty. Uh, to February last year, but we're investing in 100 uh, new diagnostic centres in community hubs. I now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I'm sure that you and the rest of the House will want to join me in celebrating and supporting World Cancer Day. Uh, Mr Speaker, just in relation to your earlier statement, I have a difficulty reconciling the Prime Minister's version of events with other evidence, and as you know, I have a duty to reflect and represent the deep, deep public anger with the Prime Minister. That said, Mr Speaker, I respect the absolute impartiality that you take in your role, and I want to set on the record that I respect both you and the authority of the Chair. Mr Speaker, this morning the Telegraph newspaper revealed that the Prime Minister attended a party in his flat on the 13th of November 2020. The Prime Minister previously told the House that no party took place. The police are now investigating this party and we face a very real prospect of a sitting Prime Minister being questioned under caution and being fined in office. And if he is questioned, Mr Speaker, he must go. If he's fined, he must resign. Mr Speaker, you'll agree that the House should not be treated with contempt. So can the Prime Minister... Well, here we go, here we go again. So can the Prime Minister update the House on his whereabouts on the evening of the 13th of November? Surely... Surely, Mr Speaker, he doesn't need to wait for an investigation to tell us exactly where he was. Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, here we go again, says the, uh, the right honourable gentleman opposite. And I must say, uh, that those are entirely my feelings. He asked uh, exactly the same questions, uh, as I recall, in the, of the, uh, in the, in the chamber uh, a few days ago. He knows, Mr Speaker, that the process must go on. But I can tell him what's been going on in Downing Street, uh, Mr Speaker. Uh, in, in November and throughout, we've been delivering the fastest vaccine and booster rollout anywhere in Europe. 
Uh, we've been getting people back into work, Mr. Speaker. We've been getting people back, in, back into work, Mr. Speaker, and uh, we've been helping to bring the West together uh, to defy what I think is completely unacceptable threats and intimidation from the Putin regime against Ukraine. And that's what we've been doing. Ian Black. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I mean, that was a disgraceful response. And I have to say to the Prime Minister, he should read the room and it should see some of the faces on his colleagues' faces. He has lost it. Mr Speaker, we've now reached the ridiculous scenario of a Prime Minister who can't even tell us where he was. He lives in a world where he thinks everything is owed to him, and he never pauses to think what he owes to the public. The Prime Minister is now a dangerous distraction at home and a running joke on the international stage. What does it tell the Prime Minister and the public that in the morning that he has returned from Ukraine, the Chair of the Defence Select Committee has submitted a letter of no confidence in him? Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, what, uh, it, it tells me that it is more vital than ever uh, for the government of this country to get on with the job, deliver our COVID recovery plan, and that is what we are doing. Mr Speaker, I would like to say thank you to the Prime Minister for visiting my honest Mourn constituency. The enormous beneficial impact a new nuclear plant, Wilma Noeth, could have if built on Anglesey. Yeah, yeah. Nuclear power must play a role if we are to meet our carbon and net zero commitments, level up and combat rising energy prices. Does my right honourable friend agree that the rapid deployment of nuclear technology must be a priority for this government? And if so, will my right honourable friend commit to financing a nuclear plant at the Wilma site this Parliament? Yeah. Well, it was a, a great joy to visit uh, my honourable friend's constituency, where I believe she is known as Atomic Kitten, or so she, or so she, so she informed me, Mr. Speaker, uh, and uh, she outlined in great detail her uh, her plans for uh, for welfare. It, it's a it's a it's a fantastic vision, a fantastic sight, and uh, it remains a very interesting and attractive prospect for new nuclear power. Colin Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm not sure if the Prime Minister has noticed, but while he's been partying, working families in Northern Ireland have lost £1,000 from their universal credit. Their national insurance has been put up by this government, and their energy bills are going through the roof. He's very fond of telling us that we're all in this together. Isn't it the truth, Mr. Speaker, that this Prime Minister has only ever been in it for himself and his rich mates? Uh, no, Mr. Speaker, I'm in it to serve my country and the entire United Kingdom. And, and, and I'm also proud that we've had the biggest, we've had the biggest investment in Northern Ireland uh, since devolution began, and uh, we've cut taxation on universal credit. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. South Western Railway has totally cut off Dorset, Somerset, most of Wiltshire and Devon from its direct rail services to London, as well as slashing our service in half, most of which is totally unnecessary. Will my right honourable friends support me and my neighbouring colleagues in getting direct services back to West Dorset and having a timetable that's fit for our region? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. 
I want to thank my honourable friend very much for his question, and he knows whereof he speaks. He is an expert in this subject, Mr. Speaker, and he's lobbied uh, very effectively uh, for his constituents and reflected their frustrations. And I'm told that the timetable is expected to return to December 2021 levels from Saturday, the 19th of February. Alex Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I was out this weekend speaking to a constituent who has a cold and leaky house. She has seen her bills already go up from 100 to 170 pounds a month. The government have failed to insulate her house and failed to control her fuel bills. Bribing people with their own money is no plan. The Prime Minister has no plan to cut VAT, no plan to get the oil and gas industry to contribute. Another constituent who voted for the Prime Minister went further and called him despicable. What use is a Prime Minister who has no plan for families struggling with the cost of living and has lost the trust of the people of this country? He he talks about cutting VAT. I wonder whether he voted uh, for Brexit and our ability to cut uh, VAT. which we delivered, Mr Speaker, and whose anniversary we celebrated uh, on Monday. And what we're doing, Mr Speaker, is, and I sympathise I sympathize very much uh, with his constituent, and I understand the pressures that people are facing on, on the costs of living. But what we've got to do, what we've got to do is invest in uh, and then protect them, and we're putting £12 billion worth of support and financial help uh, for families in hardship this year, uh, and it's absolutely vital after the pandemic. But the most important thing is to have a jobs-led economic recovery. In case I fail to make myself clear before you wound me up, Mr Speaker, that's why we have the fastest economic growth in the G7. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Greater Manchester Mayoral Clean Air Zone Scheme effectively a congestion charge affecting all 500 square miles of Greater Manchester, including my constituents in Lee, is a job-destroying tax on ordinary workers. We all want clean air, but the model proposed by Mayor Burnham is unworkable and economically devastating. With charges of £60 per day per lorry driver. Taxis, white van men, even buses will be caught by it. Will the PM intervene to prevent Mayor Burnham from inflicting this disastrous Labour scheme on Greater Manchester? I know from my own experience how vital it is when you're trying to clean up air in a great city that you do not unjustly penalise business and particularly uh, small businesses. And it's become clear that the scheme proposed by the Labour Mayor in Manchester is completely unworkable, will do more damage uh, to businesses and residents uh, in Manchester. So we must find an alternative, uh, Mr Speaker, that doesn't punish local residents. And my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State uh, for the Environment, will be saying more about this in the coming days. Thank you, Mr Speaker. If the Prime Minister receives a penalty fixed notice for attending a party or hosting a party during lockdown, will he inform the House and will he resign? Mr Speaker, of course I will comply with the law, but I've got to wait for the I've got to wait for the process to be concluded. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
elected, my fabulous constituency of Blythe Valley is really seeing the green shoots of prosperity. Government support is a green revolution in Blythe Valley. However, with such growth, the increased congestion on our roads, we are in desperate need of upgrades to the road infrastructure. Would my right honourable friend please meet with me to discuss the urgent problem and help Blythe Valley out of the ever-increasing traffic jam? Thank you. Prime Minister. I, I, my my honourable friend is the, the best champion that Blythe could possibly have. He does, he does a quite amazing job. And I want to thank him in particular, Mr Speaker, for helping to secure the, the British Volt Gigafactory uh, in Blythe. Absolutely amazing uh, investment. And uh, we, I, I understand that, of course, growth and prosperity bring, its, uh, bring their challenges when it comes to congestion on our roads. We have to tackle that. We're working with the Council on a, uh, on a bid for the Blythe, the Blythe uh, Relief Road. And I'll make sure that my honourable friend gets a meeting with the Transport Secretary to discuss it further. Rachel Baskin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The problem with a distracted Prime Minister is that he makes the wrong choices. While he's been living it up, many of my constituents are living on the breadline as food, energy and taxes shoot up. In York, the rent prices are the highest now in the north and some of the highest in the country. And York is now in the top ten places in the country where there is a cost of living crisis, pushing my constituents further into poverty and debt. So when is he going to stop protecting himself and start protecting my constituents? So, so, Mr Speaker, one of the first things I did uh, when I became Prime Minister was to ensure ensure that we looked after people on low incomes by increasing local housing allowance, Mr Speaker, uh, by increasing the living wage, uh, not once but twice, and by record amounts, Mr Speaker, uh, of course, uh, by doing what we've now done uh, with universal credit. But the most important, I really think the House needs to, to get this, but the most important thing about the UK economy right now is that we have a strong jobs led recovery. And that is what is going to drive up wages and drive up productivity and drive up growth. And that is what this government is delivering. So Desmond Swain, will he he brief us on his visit to uh, Ukraine? Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, I thank my my honourable friend very much. And and uh, uh, very briefly, uh, Mr Speaker, I can tell the House that uh, the mission was to, as I hope everybody will support, was to stand shoulder to shoulder with, uh, with Ukraine, uh, for the House, for, uh, for our country to show that we stand uh, with the people of Ukraine and we stand for the sovereign and territorial integrity of Ukraine at a, at a very difficult time because there are on the borders of Ukraine, as everybody knows, about 125,000 uh, Russian uh, troops massing. Uh, the situation is, is very perilous. And the job of the UK is to lead the West in bringing together uh, the most important countries in uh, creating a package of economic sanctions that will deter President Putin from what I believe would be a disastrous miscalculation and also to strengthen our support uh, for, the Ukraine, for the Ukrainian people and indeed uh, the Ukrainian army. And uh, we're doing that. We're supplying lethal but defensive uh, weaponry as well as training uh, to the Ukrainians. And that is, that is greatly appreciated. But I must say that the situation uh, remains risky, Mr Speaker, and it is vital that diplomacy finds a way forward. Thomas. Mr Speaker, on a related issue, after the publication of the Russia report, the Prime Minister claimed tackling illicit finance and driving dirty money and money launderers out of the UK is a priority. 
His warnings to Mr Putin of late would surely have carried more bite if he'd actually used the 18 months since publication of the Russia report to legislate for an economic crime act to stop the flow of dirty money for Russia. Why hasn't he prioritised this issue of national security? Minister, Mr Speaker, contrary to, contrary to the, uh, some of the myths that are, that are peddled, this government has come down very hard on dirty money uh, from Russia and everywhere else. That's why we brought in the unexplained wealth orders uh, and indeed China, Mr Speaker, uh, which uh, they might like to, they might like to, that, to consider. Uh, that we have, that's why we have sanctions on Russia uh, following what they did in Crimea in, in 2014. We have Magnitsky sanctions on everybody involved in the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, and to his point, Mr. Speaker, we are bringing forward the Economic uh, Crime Bill uh, so that it will take place. It will be voted on in the third session of this Parliament. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Despite the best efforts of the opposition, two years ago this week, this government delivered the democratic decision to leave. And despite there being a global pandemic in the two years since. Over 70 free trade agreements have been signed. However, as we recover, there are many more opportunities that can be realised. So will the Prime Minister commit to appointing a minister responsible for realising those Brexit freedoms and benefits that will boost all of our constituencies? Mr Speaker, you can hear from the, the chuntering opposite that they still want to take this thing back. They still, they still want to cancel uh, Brexit, Mr Speaker, but it was thanks to Brexit very largely that we actually we had the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe, Mr Speaker, uh, and we've been able to deliver our free ports, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, and uh, we've been able to do 60 or 70 free trade deals around the world. And uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I'm not going to anticipate any decisions I may make uh, about the government, but uh, I certainly think it w- would be a good idea uh, to have a minister driving uh, that post-Brexit agenda. Thank you. Uh, let's just recap. Mr Speaker, before we were told we must wait for the Sue Gray report, then we were told we must wait for the police investigation to conclude we had there was no party. And then if there was a party, I wasn't there then. Well, if there, w- if there was a party, then all rules were followed. But no one... No one, Prime Minister, believes you. And if any of the above, any of the above were true, why did Alec Stratton have to resign? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, I, I explained that, uh, that sad matter uh, on the floor of the House uh, and, and no, uh, no, nobody, nobody, I, nobody wanted Allegra uh, to resign and I was, I was very sad uh, that she did. Simon Jupp. Thank you. Yeah, Mr. Yeah. My constituent, Ginty Sheeran from Exmouth, has launched a campaign to get a dedicated menopause clinic in Devon. Women in East Devon currently face a 120-mile round trip to get to the nearest specialist menopause clinic. It's not good enough, is it? No. Will my right honourable friend outline what steps the government is taking to improve access to menopause services in Devon and the South West? Prime Minister. I thank my honourable friend for raising this very important campaign and we are committed to improving menopause care so that all women can have access to, uh, to the support they need and uh, to manage uh, the symptoms. Menopause will be a priority within our women's health strategy and uh, we're committed to establishing a UK-wide menopause task force, Mr Speaker. Dame Angela Riedel. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. 
If the Prime Minister needs a Metropolitan Police inquiry to tell him whether he attended a party on the 13th of November in his own Downing Street flat, why should we believe that he's a fit and proper person to have his hand on the button of our independent nuclear deterrent? I hesitate to, to remind the, the Right Honourable Lady, but she campaigned actively to install a Prime Minister who wanted to get rid, to get rid of our nuclear deterrent altogether. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister, the Government and our NHS have done an amazing job with the vaccine rollout, making it a resounding success. Would my right honourable friend join me in thanking the wonderful NHS workers, volunteers and pharmacies who have worked so hard to help make this possible in Dewsbury, Murfield, Kirkburn and Denbydale? I thank my honourable friend, who does a fantastic job of representing his communities, and I want to thank all of them, Mr Speaker, everybody involved in the rollout, in Dewsbury, in Murfield, in Kirkburton, and in Denby Dale, uh, Mr Speaker, because it was a, a, an extraordinary national effort. And anybody who visited a vaccine centre will know that feeling of pride in what was happening, that feeling of energy in a collective effort to make our society and our country literally healthier day by day. And I, I thank all of them, Mr Speaker, from the bottom of my heart.